Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Show is solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Hello and welcome to the Epic Love Show. This is episode 94. My name is Travis Suit. I'll be your host today. And we have in studio with us our audiovisual engineer, Jason Fisher. Hello. Hello. What's going on? <laughs> welcome. Thank you for being here as always and supporting the show. This week in studio, we have Ricky Aiken of Inner City Innovators. Hey. More to come soon. Thanks for being here, Ricky. And uh, so... The Epic Love Show is here to share inspiring stories of love through action. And Ricky is definitely one of those stories we're very excited to host. And um, the show is brought to you by the Piper's Angels Foundation for Cystic Fibrosis. You can listen to this show on playback on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Pandora. And you can always watch live or share from our Facebook page or from the Epic Love Show on YouTube. We invite you to share and subscribe. And uh, always want to share our gratitude for everybody who tunes in weekly to this show. Uh, this show is meaningful to me personally. It's meaningful to our organization and this community. And everybody who is a part of the growing audience for it. And when we have the opportunity to share incredible stories like Ricky's, uh, we always want to encourage everybody to... Uh, open your hearts and minds and, and let's do our best to bring as much light and love to all the communities we have out there. And considering that, you know, shows like this uh, open it up to kind of a global audience, right? And that's the type of world and community we live in now. Uh, so we want to celebrate that love. Uh, so thank you all for tuning in if you're on Facebook or YouTube. Appreciate it. Uh, so Ricky is the founder and executive director of Inner City Innovators, 
and has made it his life mission to inspire and empower inner city youth to embody the change so desperately needed in their communities. Uh, Ricky is a boots on the ground, all in agent of change who believes that real change happens when the people who need it lead it. And as a child raised in the inner city of West Palm Beach, Ricky has seen firsthand the plights associated with growing up in communities of concentrated disadvantage. He has suffered from homelessness, witnessed familial addiction, lost friends to gun violence, and was expected to be another statistic. In fact, he admits to being well on his way to fulfilling that destiny until he vowed to change the trajectory of his life. Well known in West Palm Beach and beyond for his community activism, Ricky has found a way to use his life experiences and social capital to bring hope to neighborhoods and promote the value of resilience. A celebrated speaker and mentor, he has big plans for the inner city and is working hard to change the image and climate of inner city neighborhoods throughout Palm Beach County and the country and the world. Yeah. Ricky. Welcome back to the Epic Love Show. So happy to have you here. It's been a little over a year, I believe, since the last time we had you on the show. Yeah. And uh, a lot has changed in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I imagine a lot has changed for uh, inner city innovators and for you as um, a developing community leader and nonprofit creator and executive director. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that. Yeah. Because... Those are two different things. You can <laughs> be are. a nonprofit executive director and founder, which are two things, right. and and own that role. And you and then you could be a community leader separately. Right. But to be both is <laughs> a lot. You you are the one of the few people that gets it and, and appreciates it, man. Like I, I often feel like I'm wearing many hats. This week's been a whirlwind. Uh, when things happen and I have to represent my community, uh, most days I'm having to represent my organization. And both of those are 40-hour-per-week jobs in and of themselves. So I'm not even surprised when I have weeks like this past week where I'm working 12 hours a day. So it, it's fun. Though. I wouldn't trade any of it. And uh, I'm super great, grateful and super excited to be here, man. So thank you for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're doing a fantastic job uh, bringing you know, the voice of many and um, I saw you on a couple different media outlets this past week. So it, it has been a whirlwind for you and, and for the world in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. between, you know, COVID-19 coming up and then, you know, this uh, tragedy with George Floyd. And, and there, it just seems like there's a lot of uh, upwelling of energy, yeah. you know, and change. Yeah. And, and as it says in your bio, you're, you're really leading as a change agent. Right. And right. so... As all of this has come up, what has it been like for you personally, you know, and in your role and in your community and just, you know, how you deal with day to day? Yeah, well, it's tough. You know, our, our realm is the youth delinquency and gun violence prevention realm. So we're, we're, we're focused on saving the lives of the young men who call our communities home. Uh, in our Hope Dealer Mentoring Program, we have about 30 young men in our program. 40% of them have been shot before. 40% wow. of them. You know, so that's nearly... That's a crazy statistic. It is. And you could, uh, like, so many more of them were witnesses to their friends' shootings, you know? 
But because of our work and since our work, none of those young men have gone back. Most of them are now employed or working. And, uh, and, and some of them are in our Hope Dealer Leadership Program, which we launched uh, this summer, where we're taking the young men that we feel like can really help us take this movement to the next level. So we've taken 10 of these guys and they'll re be responsible for doing the work with the larger group of 30. And then those 30 will be responsible for taking the work into the community, mm. you know, because everything we do as an organization is designed so that the young people that we work with can, can be the ones leading it sooner rather than later. Right. And you know my quote, you shared it on social media, real change happens when the people who need it lead it. So everything I'm about, it's been about empowering this next generation of leaders, uh, not for tomorrow, but to step up and start leading today. Yeah, and I love that quote. I mean, that really, in, in a way, says it all. And, um, and it speaks to, you know, to your leadership. You know, and uh, my business coach, Peter Marcus, always says, you know, the, the team looks like its leader. Yeah. And um, so you're doing an incredible job in the advocacy and, and the platform and the network and the community that you're building. Um, and so, you know, with you being in the community, having a voice, you know, having the nonprofit, but also being in this, you know, community leadership role. Yeah. What has your interaction with the community looked like? as a lot of these, you know, recent, uh, you know, uh, activities have really, yeah. you know, built Absolutely. up. I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I first heard about what happened with uh, George Floyd and I saw the video, uh, it, it was heartbreaking for me. You know, it, it really was. I, I just, I didn't know how to process it at the time. And then you see the kind of momentum that it ha had taken place all around the country with people really outraged at what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no way, uh, there are no alternative angles on that video. You know, it was eight minutes of pain and suffering and agony uh, ending up in his death. And so, you know, when, when I saw everything happening and everyone went angry and upset, like I made a note to myself or a promise to myself uh, probably a year ago that because my work is so traumatic and every day I hear about a gunshot or I'm responding to a shooting, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that it's one of the young men that I work with because so often that's been the case. I had to close my antenna off from things that were happening at a national level mm. and really focus my attention on what was happening in the community. So I'll be honest, man, when it first happened, I did everything I could to just keep my head down, keep my hands on the plow and doing the work. But as you've seen, uh, the outrage has been so much that not even I have been able to do that. You know, I've kind of had to continue to work with the intense uh, and laser-like focus that I have, but also address this. And one of the ways we've been able to address this with the needs of the community in mind is I was able to partner up with uh, Rodney Mayo, uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneur, uh, pretty much runs the 500 block of Clematis, a very passionate guy, but we partnered up to do what we uh, called the Barbecue for Peace. You know, we've seen a lot of people exploiting the peaceful protests that were going on early on. So we wanted to do something to kind of protect the energy and really give people an opportunity to voice their frustrations. We want to give our city leaders the platform. We want to give law enforcement the platform. And we want to engage each other and know that we could do it in a peaceful way at a local level. Because one of the things that you don't too often see or, or realize is that when something like this happen, it happens the way it does, and that happened in uh, Minnesota, correct? Mm -hmm. 
And you see the way it spreads like a wildfire through the country and it could erode any cop community progress that could have been made before that. So that's the that's the most heartbreaking thing is that, you know, even departments that were trying to do the right things and communities that were uh, kind of improving those relationships, it can burn up just like this. So we really want to create an event that would help set the pace and the narrative because the, the, the protests and the riots, that's just the start. That's just the initial. Hey, everybody, this happened. The energy is there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be all about the long-term things that are going to be necessary to make sure that what happened to Mr. Floyd doesn't happen to anyone here in our own backyard. Right. And so what did that event look like as, as you brought it together in the yeah. community? Well, I got to take my hat off to uh, Rodney Mayo. You know, we were supposed to have it uh, on the 500 block of Clematis, but uh, it wasn't approved. So we had to move it the night before. Uh, to Lake Worth and the city of Lake Worth was wonderful uh, in an accepting the event and helping everything uh, run as smoothly as possible. So that first and foremost, I want to commend him because I don't know how he pulled it off. But man, when we showed up, all these people were just there and, and just and he, he, besides the crowd and all the love that was there, the part that stood out to me the most was I'm on stage and, I, and I'm giving my speech and my young men are standing shoulder to shoulder with me. And I had this one young man, Earl Buchanan, he's probably watching, and uh, he, he's a, he wants to be a hip hop artist, and he was given such short notice, like, hey, if you wanna go up and do this, <laughs> here's the opportunity. Right. So right after I give my speech, you know, uh, really trying to inspire and uplift the crowd for the work that needs to be done going forward, uh, Earl comes on to, to perform right after me, and while he's performing, it was powerful, you know. He did the, he did it to the instrumental of Tupac's uh, changes, and it was just so uplifting, so what we needed to hear. But the young men that were with me, one of the young men started crying mm. because of the moment. Right. His 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 buddy, his friend who was shot and nearly lost his life, is here on stage performing. We're in this movement, and we're we're leading change. We're not talking about change. We didn't just rise up when this stuff started happening around the country, but we've been consistently working to breathe the change that we needed in our communities. And for the first time, it hit it. And uh, once I saw him crying, I saw my coworker Norman crying. I started crying. People in the crowd were crying. But it was such a powerful moment because it was a brief window into the soul of the future in this, of this movement, man, where these young people are finally get in the role that they play in this, in this process. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you, and you created that that vehicle in that channel and that venue for to empower that yeah and that's really amazing and i and i appreciate that you the way you share it because you know it, it speaks to your intellectual capacity to to bring in the different perspectives you know how the uh you know the police departments how they're having to adjust and like right. you said the trust that's being built in the community and then how quickly it can be eroded and um and there's there is so much work to do and Absolutely. you know as they as they say you you know don't talk about it be about it right and you're definitely being about it and uh, what a beautiful moment and experience to have with everybody there to catalyze yes you know and i guarantee for all those young men on stage with you that was that moment where it it resonated on a level where for the rest of their life no matter what they do from this point forward right. 
they knew they were standing in the right place at the right time for the right reason. Yes, man. That's such a humbling thing to think that <laughs> that's what it's become, man. And it, it's like, I'm telling you, bro, like, you know my story, man. Mm-hmm. You know where I come from. And to see that take place, man, it, it's amazing, man. And you're right, man. I never want to be the kind of leader uh, that, that that's knee-jerk. And that's I, I want to be someone that's thinking uh, from all level because that's what a leader has to do. You know, I could capitalize on people's emotion and hoorah, hoorah. But I never want to be the type to do that. And like I say all the time, I never want to be the guy that leads uh, hundreds of thousands of people. I want to be the guy that helped empower thousands of leaders, people that stepped up uh, into the role so I don't have to be as much to so many. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, and you know, as for those people who are are listening and watching and maybe aren't or not familiar with you um, in your story, uh, which is pretty amazing. And and how old are you, Ricky? Uh, 32. 32. Amazing. Amazing. 32 (laughs) years old and bringing this kind of energy into the world. Uh, I'm 36. And we both grew up here in West Palm Beach, um, and you know we both grew up in very different environments. Yeah. And I, I, we talked about this before the show, and I wanted everybody out there who's listening and watching, you know, to really understand. Like, it gets me emotional because when I first met Ricky, it was like I feel like I'm looking at my twin brother. Yeah. Like the the yeah. energy that you have, <laughs> the time, the few times we've gotten to share uh, together, it's like uh, it's a, it's a a connection I have uh, with very few people who yeah. I think because we share similar roles yeah. and similar visions, um, you know, and we've worked in our lives to help bring change. And, um, and so, you know, that, that connection with you, I always say, it's like, I feel like you're a brother of the universe, you know? Absolutely. And, um, and so, Likewise. you know, where, where I grew up in West Palm Beach, I grew up in rural West Palm Beach on dirt roads and in a very, in a very different environment. And it's interesting how, you know, um, the inner city where you grew up in West Palm Beach, how our kind of worlds merged and collided. Um, and, you know, I, I've got to be honest with everybody out there. And, you know, there's, um, I've, I've shared this with a lot of friends and family and it's no secret, um, but the world that I grew up in as a kid uh, was racially biased. I mean, yeah. uh, you could say racist, racially biased, however you want to title it or label it. But, you know, I grew up in a very white environment. You know, the schools I, were, I was in, there was like maybe one, you know, black kid in the whole school. Yeah. Right. And, and then um, as I grew up, I was, I ended up going to Palm Beach Lakes High School. And so it was like a total cultural reversal right. because it's a predominantly black school. And I was, you know, really the only white kid. And I, yeah. and it was, um, it was a drastic change. And so for me, when I was a kid growing up, you know, it was common in that environment to see Confederate flags and to uh, hear uh, racist jokes and um, I was a part of that, you know, and yeah. I even bought into it. And um, I remember being a kid and feeling like, you know, feeling that there it wasn't right, but what it was, what was normal. Right. And um, and I, you know, even when I went to Palm Beach Lakes, I started to see the world in a whole different way in this perspective. And I mean, I was in in that narrative of like, you know, I grew up with. You know, a lot of people who um, they had this kind of like you got to fight for your right 
to be white because things yeah. are changing, right? Yeah. And they want to yeah. hold. There's there's a holding on to the past. Yeah. And it was like, what, am I am I am I what am I doing? Am I holding on to the past? Am I moving into the future? I, I was having this identity crisis because. I thought that was a part of who I was. Right. And um, and when I went to Palm Beach Lakes, you know, I was on the football team there, and we we worked our butts off on that football field. I had uh, Coach Co was my uh, was my coach. Um, he was African American. Uh, the principal of the school, um, uh, Principal Collins, was an amazing leader in the community, and. It, you know, it just started to shift everything for me. And I remember, and this is um, the point where I realized this this is really wrong was I that I there was something wrong with me that it was yeah. it was a problem that I had. Yeah. Was there was a really cute girl <laughs> that at Lakes that I was I was so I was so head over heels for. Yeah. And we had this charisma and this magic, and you know I'm a young man. Yeah. And I mean. Uh, she was super attractive and uh you know we just had this magic and you know one day she asked me because we were always flirting and you know in the hallway and everything right, and right one day she asked me you know hey travis like why, why don't we go out on a date or something you know and i mean i just got flush and i i had to be honest and it was it was such a you know uncourageous thing at, at this point in my life for somebody who was really I, I prided myself on being daring and courageous and I had to tell her you know I don't think my family and you know where I come from I don't think yeah. this is going to be acceptable and I don't know how to address that yeah you know and I'm not I'm not there yet I'm too, yeah. I'm not mature enough to handle that yeah and I look back at that and um it was heartbreaking because I could see it in her eyes. Here, somebody really at that kind of young love stage, right. I could see it in her eyes. You know, we had that connection. This was yeah. a human connection. Right. It had nothing to do with anything else. And yet, here I am. I'm defining my, my life and our relationship by some idea, some mm. concept in my brain yeah. that has nothing to do with the reality of the situation. Right. And, um, man, you know, it, it just, it, it was a... And, and so that's where, you know, I've shifted through. And this is a lot of the inner city youth that you're addressing went to Palm Beach Lakes High School. Right. And I met some of those guys who yeah. had been shot at or like I'd given them rides home after football practice. And I remember the couple of times I did that, you know, being like, oh, man, I, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. I was scared, yeah. you know, being in that neighborhood. And I was like, wow, they, you know, I'm dropping them off at their grandma's house not their parents' house, right. and I don't know where I'm at. Not it, it was a total fear-based situation, yeah. and a major learning lesson on multiple levels. Yeah, you know, personally, spiritually, yeah. for growing in my life, and uh, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm in a way, I'm grateful for that contrast. Yeah, because now, you know, those old belief structures and, and thought patterns, although the residue sometimes appears naturally, right. Right. it's still these things are there. It's not who I am, right? And um, and I know that you know you had a in, a in a sense a different but similar story. Absolutely, I could totally relate to that, man. I, um, growing up for me, this was this was one of the things that kind of helped me through think through uh, race. It, it was a negative kind of experience, but it, it helped me kind of process race relations kind of going forward. I remember uh, when I was younger, um, I probably was around. I want to say eight, between the ages of eight and 10, 
there was this white guy from this ministry that wanted to mentor me, you know, and he came, I met him, they were giving away bikes or something, and he came home uh, to introduce himself to my grandma, and uh, I just remember my grandma not approving, and she sat me down, and she said, I don't want you around that white man no more. And as I would grow, I'd be in these different circumstances or situations where either I got in trouble at school or something, and my grandma would sit me down and she'd say, she'd say I don't want you. You don't trust them crackers. That's the, that's the language mm-hmm. she used. Uh, when you got to lie to them, you look, in, you look them right in your eyes if you ever got to get yourself out of a situation. So she did not trust white people. She didn't. And she put that in me. And she had her reasons, man. When I think about the world that my grandmother came up in, you know, we're talking the 60s, the 70s, when the racial tension in our country was at its height. You know what I'm saying? So I couldn't imagine the things that she had to endure and that she lived through that turned her sour in that way. And so here I am, a kid, not knowing anything about the world. And this is what often happens, in, and especially in communities like mom. Where, where our parents or our grandparents or our guardians are passing down to us the lenses that they needed to use mm. to survive the world. Right. So she wasn't giving it to me necessarily or primarily because she hated white people. She wasn't giving it to me because of any other reason than she loved me and she wanted me to be safe mm-hmm. in this world. It's survival. And, right. And the thing, one of the biggest things that caused her harm was the, the person of the opposite race. And I remember that baffled me. So growing up, I always kind of had that tucked in the back of my head. You know, even though all of my teachers uh, who I knew loved me and would do anything for me were white, I kind of always had that in my head. And it wasn't until I got older. I think I was probably, I probably was a teen. I was probably around 15, 16, 17. And um, it's kind of where my life was, was in this, this uh, in the, it was just at this crossroad, you know? And I remember being at this organization. The organization was called Urban Youth Impact. And uh, I remember the people there, they, they, they became closer to me to my, to my, than my family at that point in time. And they were predominantly white, you know. And the time we spent together was spent outside of my community. Like these people would uh, literally give me the shirt off their back, you know. And it was through a prolonged exposure to these people that I began to question those early ideologies that I, were, I was given. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you, you begin to ask the question, man, like, maybe my grandma was wrong. You yeah. Know? And not only that, the more profound thing it did was if my grandmother gave me that knowledge for my survival at that age and it kind of conditioned me. Could that happen on the other end of the spectrum? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Spectrum. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Where a white kid growing up in a situation, just like you described, son, it's like our, our, our country's being taken from us by these people. And it kind of creates a, a, a image in your head of people that's unloving. And I call these disempowering models of reality. They don't empower us to become our best selves. And I honestly believe racism to be a mental illness. Yep. So when someone tells or I perceive someone as racist, I don't get any more upset or angry or emotionally charged at them as I would a kid that I knew had a mental disability. And it takes the power right away from them. And I think that's, that's where we, we got to realize that the same way I was conditioned, other people can be conditioned. And what always helped, what I heard you in your story that said that kind of helped uh, remove those barriers were exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I believe ignorance thrives in isolation. When people are separated and we're in our own little enclaves and we're, we're, telling our, we're in our echo chambers, and we're, we're dealing with these lies. That's how ignorant thrives. But I can't walk into an area like we talk about white supremacy all the time. Like my exposure to what, if anything, <laughs> being funny, I'm more supreme. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of it disrupts all the lies that right. you think growing up. It's like we're the same. You know, I have the same resources uh, mentally, emotionally, physically as this guy. And it kind of removes the clouds, uh, both positive and negative, especially negative. Uh, but the lies that we believed about one another. But I believe that exposure, man, is definitely the way forward. Yeah, and, and that's a valuable, valuable lesson. And, and I, uh, my daughter's 12 years old, and uh, she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis uh, when she was four, which is what got me into advocacy for that community um, and into this role. And I talk about it all the time, uh, you know, that you, you have to be intentional about your exposure, especially with kids. You want right. to expose them to as many things as possible because that is what um, uh, Aldous, Huxley, Aldous Huxley said, you know, we, we have a reducer valve in our mind. Right. And and when you're exposed to more, you open that reducer valve up so your you know, your mind opens up. Right. And and if your mind's opening up, it allows for your heart to open up too. And um you know, I'm an emotional being and yeah. I've learned over the years just like when it comes, you just gotta you gotta be present with it. Yeah. But you gotta just let it roll and um and I think crying and tears are really one of the most beautiful expressions of a human being. Yeah. And I think we we have a prejudice yeah. for tear for crying. But you know like hey hey you know right. you, they you tell kids you got to be tough, you can't cry, you know like and and really if I'm if I'm sharing that emotion with somebody that um that is it's an it should be an honor for the other person to be there. And if you're comfortable, if you're present with that person, you realize yeah how special that is right. and there's really nothing that you need to do except just be with them right. in that emotional moment yeah. and you know and you see oh, that that moment you talked about on stage and sharing in that yeah. i've seen that moment with some of our families you know in the hospital and um and had some of those moments myself and and when i watched the george floyd video um so much came up for me you know i i i just I felt so sorry, so yeah. sorry for ever feeling the, the way I felt as a kid or as a teenager and having any thoughts that were prejudiced or, or, or racist. And, and also, like, hearing him say, I can't breathe, you know, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the most uh, 
hard-hitting moments I've ever experienced in my life was when my daughter Piper was in the hospital and cystic fibrosis is a lung disease primarily yeah. and she woke up in the middle of the night I was sleeping in the room next to her in the hospital she had been hospitalized for weeks and she sat up and she said you know daddy my lungs are burning and in the CF community over their lifetime that's what's happening is they get these recurring lung infections so they lose their ability to breathe mm. so breathing is it, it, it has really resonated me with, yeah. since she was diagnosed and my oldest half sister has cystic fibrosis and has had a half a lung removed so like breathing is something we our, yeah. our slogan for piper's angels is inspire every breath mm. and like so to hear him say that and yeah. to ha and you know and i I didn't want to watch it the whole thing through. I, I wanted to turn it off because I could see where it was going. You, and yeah. I, I was like, Travis, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta really take this in right now and yeah. understand why what's going on in the world. Yeah. And um, and man, um, it was that was really hard. And so I just can't imagine for everybody out there who you know, to to even be in those shoes yeah i was talking with a friend of mine earlier today where you know he was a white guy and i had met his daughter and he was telling me his daughter i think she's about eight or something like that young and he was she they, they were watching a space shuttle launch and uh they they flipped to the protests and they showed the video and uh it was his son that his son was like that why are they doing that um why did they kill the man i thought the police was supposed to help people mm -hmm. And his dad was able to help him process that event. Well, yeah, but there are bad people and things like that. Hopefully his son coming out with a perspective that the cops are there to serve and protect us. Right. But if you could imagine the same way I was conditioned to race, we're also conditioned to law enforcement, where the only images that people in my community are getting uh, in regards to law enforcement is the, the murders of unarmed black men. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I'm telling you, man, like it, it does something to the psyche, like the same way I would look at uh, white people. And the, the thing about it be getting pulled over for me was like a double whammy during that time, because not only was I getting pulled over by a white person, I was getting pulled over by a cop. Yeah. So you could imagine the fear and the, and the tension inside of me. It wasn't a, oh, this officer is just doing this job here to keep everyone safe. This officer could potentially walk away with my life and there'd be no one here to, to, to fight for me, right. you know? So that's, that's one of those things, man, where we have to do more because I believe exposure removes the fear. You know, I, I think about what it must take to become a law officer, right? And I know it's, it's a few months of training or whatnot, but think about it. Think about it if you were, were out of school, a predominantly white school and all your friends were white. It's homophily. We all want to be around people that are most like us. You know, it's social science, one-on-one, -on -one, right? So these cops are, are in schools. Before they become cops, they're around people who are like them. And pretty often, the only time or thing they hear or learn about the black person is inter entertainment, the news, or, or something like that. So they get this job, and they're thrown into some of the harshest environments, and uh, they, they can't deal with it. They mm -hmm. can't handle it. And they, they, I really believe they're, they're, they're fearful. But fear, in my opinion, is never a, re a good enough reason to take a life right. at any level, man. So I think we have to do more to make sure that our officers aren't deathly afraid of people that they're going to encounter on the job. You know, and that's the same view I have with race. You know, the only way that, like, I, I never met a racist child. You know what right. I'm saying? I've yeah. seen many races adults. Right. I believe kids are like blank pieces of paper when they enter this world. Somebody's doing the programming. 
And I, I think that's where we got to do a better job and be more intentional and more. I don't have kids, but man, when I do, like you said, you know, it's one of those things you have to be intentional. You have to be proactive about or you end up subconsciously giving your child bad program. And that's how our world got where it is today. Yeah. Bad program. A hundred percent. And what's crazy is that programming based in fear, you know, and we, this is the epic love show. Yeah. You know, th- that fear it's illusory it's an illusion in those ideas uh one of my favorite philosophers is alan watts he called it spiritual window cleaning no matter what your spiritual beliefs are the idea behind it was well take a kid and say okay you know here's a window right and uh you're looking outside and you know paint an image of the sun on the window and you go up and you, you paint the window now you have this you know image of the sun on the window well it blocks the actual sun mm-hmm. from shining in. So when oh. you remove the image mm. from the window, yeah. the the reality of the situation is what's there. Right. And and that's what you know in our world. I think a lot of the narrative that is not talked about is exactly what you're saying. And I've seen a few people out there, some social influencers like Aubrey Marcus mention it. Um, you know, and and I've got some notes here. Um, you know, from w- what. Aubrey was posting and I I love some of what he was saying and I'm just going to read a little bit of it but you know he said you know black lives more than matter they're Mm -hmm. sacred right we're sacred beings of whatever belief you want to believe in the the universe God whatever you want to label it or call it but you know the 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 colors and the labels none of that is is relevant to what's inside Mm. and um I just I love that he positioned it that way and he said the absence of love that brought us here is the love that will get us out right and uh, you know I just um, you know he mentioned you know equality is not a dream but rather a universal understanding right and and I think that's where we're going right that's where the yeah. society has to understand that the root cause right of what's going on the changes that you and I have been through, that exposure, yeah, is is self awareness, right? And so, right, you know, being more self aware is a a path in life that you can choose to walk, right? As you learn and as you grow, yeah. and you have to face that fear and be okay with letting go of that old world, yeah, letting go of those old ideas, yes, and walking into that. And and if your self awareness grows, you know, uh, your um, consciousness expands and you're open to more. Right. Absolutely. And it's the same things you, if you want to be successful in business, you know, you got to let go old paradigms. You got to take risks. You got to really put yourself out there. You got to be willing to learn. You got to have that same attitude with, with race relations, you know, or you may thrive in business, but you won't excel in those relationships that really enrich our lives. I live a full life because of the fullness and the richness of the relationships in it. Right. I got white women I call mom. I got black women I call mom. I got white men I consider father figures. I got black men I consider father figures. So I've been so blessed to, to have these relationships and they've all made me better. I could step into any room of any culture and I'm better for it because I have those relationships. And to not move off from the, the, the thing we've seen that you were speaking of, I think a lot of people are getting that. 
Because when I look at the most powerful thing about the protests that we've been seeing all around the country, I think the glue that's really began to make it stick is white people are frustrated. White people are beginning to validate what we've been saying all along. And, and it's sad that that has to be the, the, the final thing that, that gets everyone's ten, attention, but it is, man. Right. And I think that, that like young people are seeing their parents stand up to, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime where you got, you got older people, middle-aged people, young people, all people are saying enough is enough, it's time to move forward. Because I couldn't imagine if I was a white person and every time I'm looking at the news, it's racism this and racism that, like when, when will we get past that? And if you are really wanting to get past that, like I always say, real change happens when the people who need it lead it. If we really want to get past that, then we have to see more of what we're seeing now. It's time to drop the fear of losing our position in society and focus on creating a more peaceful, a more equitable, a more equitable and a more promising society for everyone, not just us. And that's a scary thing. You know, but you, that's why we got to die. We, ego death is needed. Right. You know, we, we got to die to ourselves, you know, and, and every spiritual text that I respect teaches that, you know, when I'm focused and I'm consumed with myself, I'm hurting those around me. But when I drop back and I, and I focus on how can I help my fellow, that's what I built my life on. My life has been made rich because I've chosen to go back and bless people and be a blessing to people uh, that, 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 that wouldn't have direction otherwise. And I'm rich for it, not materially, but spiritually. Right. And I think that's the attitude we gotta have, man. We, got, we gotta have hope and we gotta embody it because that's the only way that we take our world where we know it belongs to be. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the hope dealers, I love that you call it what it is, yeah. you know, and, um, it's uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard said, "Crisis always precedes transformation." Mm. It's like it's you know a, a simple example you know, but the caterpillar that goes into the metamorphosis of the the chrysalis of the the but and then turns into the butterfly. Right. That caterpillar's got to go through quite a change and die, like yeah. you said. I mean. And what's wild is that science has shown that there's you know these these they call them imaginal cells, right. and they already have the knowledge built into them that they're going to change into something else. Mm. And, um, you know, there's, you know, we're, we're uh, you could say, and, and people, there, there's some texts out there that would say that scientifically, as we are going through this awakening yeah. altogether, that we're shifting from that old survival mode right. of just the homo sapien yeah. into almost this new, you know, homo universalis, right? right. Like this new right. universal human yeah. that is aware of its own participation in the conscious evolution yeah. of ourselves. Yeah. Knowing that yeah. we have an, an influence on our culture, an influence on technology, yep. and all of that has an influence on the environment. Absolutely. That we're an environment organism relationship to that, you know, while while we're busy still trying to fix or or rid ourselves of these old paradigms you know the the mother nature is suffering as well right. and we are a small each one of us individually are a small part of mother nature right. so it we should start to collectively hopefully bring that vision together right. because we're going to have much 
bigger challenges as a global society if, if things start to collapse. And and I think that is the opportunity that may be being presented right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we saw with COVID kind of this global united effort, but yep. I think you're right. I think people uh, are tired of letting these old belief systems and ideas dominate and in a way technology like this show social media you know everybody out there on facebook youtube you know this sharing is caring as they say and um you know what you talked about is such a beautiful vision for for this country for these for our local communities for the world um and and so i want to talk a little bit about that because we talked about it on the phone before the show about how you know uh you and i have built our organizations with yeah. with a vision for yeah. something yeah. sometimes you don't know what that is but like you said as an entrepreneur you go out and you risk it right you're just right. taking the risk yep you don't know you're just gonna jump and the parachute's gonna open right or you're gonna be guided your vision for people they talk about you know uh, Olympic athletes. Their coaches say you know you got to visualize crossing the finish yeah. line, right? You got to visualize, and I think it sounds like a fun exercise for people. Hey, we do yeah. vision boards, right? Right. But I mean, somebody might do a vision board and then they put it in the closet or whatever. But what does it really mean to hold a vision? Right. You know, like like you were saying when we started out the show. Here, all the rest of the world. Yeah. You're you're doing you're doing you're living this mission every day. Yes. And then yeah. all of a sudden, things you know, the voice gets louder. The 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 polarization right. is is pulling at both ends, and you're here, grounded in the middle of it, right. holding this vision. And right. what what does that feel like to you? And like, how do you think people can help hold the vision together? Yeah, I think for me, what many people don't know is long before uh, Inner City Innovators was was founded, you know, I would sit and write out a personal mission statement, you know, what I wanted to to be to the world. And my mission statement for my organization is a variation of my mission statement for myself to inspire and empower inner city youth and residents to embody the change they want to see in their communities. And um, I think for me, what it means to hold the vision, because I feel like that's the only thing that could get people out of the monotony of everyday life. You have to have a vision of something greater. And it's a lack of that vision that that drop. Like when I, when I look at the one determining factor of why my young men are, are are producing the outcomes positively that they have been lately, is because we've given them a vision to look towards you. When you're an inner city kid growing up in a single parent home, uh, you haven't seen your dad in ages, you don't know where the next meal's coming from, the lights are water off, you hear gunshots every night, you just lost a friend the other day, you're just in this jambalaya of chaos and there is no common thread of purpose. So our young men realize that they're a part of the solution. It's one thing to look at a problem and lose hope. It's an entirely different thing to look at that problem and say, I'm going to determine a solution. Mm. And I think that's what holding the, the, the vision is. It's looking at our world, and our world presents us with so many opportunities to be great. There was a quote, I forgot who said it, but if anyone wants to be great, find a way to serve. You want to be great? Serve. 
And you look at, uh, when I see problems, I don't see problems. I don't see something to be negative about. I see a bunch of opportunities for people to find purpose, mm. to make our world what we want it to be. Because when, when you really think about it, I didn't choose to be born into the family I was born into. I didn't choose the skin that I'd be born and all the problems that come with it. I didn't choose any of it. It was what happened. And I had to take the cards I was dealt and make the best hand possible. And we all have to do that. At the end of the day, we all want the same things. And once you realize that, and you're able to take that, that realization into consideration and cast a vision that the lowest common denominator could get behind, then you have a vision worth holding, in my opinion. Yeah, that's powerful. That, is, that, was, that was beautifully said, Ricky. And Thank you. It, it, you know, that... That vision that you create, and I want everybody out there, you know, to listen to this and really embody it themselves and hold this. Um, you've got some great comments from people. Hey, Ricky is an amazing imaginal cell in our world. Uh, thank you. Yeah, um, we've got some great. Thank you, everybody, for all the comments. That vision, and I, I want everybody to take this away from this show, is uh, two things. One, you and I have changed. Yes. ourselves yes and we've helped change our communities yes and it it took effort and work yeah. and it took a growth in self-awareness yeah. to get to this point here we are yeah this is what's amazing to me unbelievable is like <laughs> you know from from the inner city streets and the dirt roads of the acreage to like where we are today and right. what we're doing it's it's just amazing to yes. me yes um and so the change and in that vision that you just beautifully painted, uh, the vision we all hold together for a, a world that serves justice for uh, you know, uh, acts that need to be uh, have answers to, that can bring love and education to you know, cure a disease of, of hatred, yeah, right? It's a disease of the mind. Yeah. That vision, when you hold it, the challenge is the discernment. Yes. It, it's not, like you started the show, it's a perfect example. Yeah. Not letting these outside things distract you right. from holding the vision. Because you can see the vision in your mind's eye. Right. And if you can hold that in your mind's eye and nothing can distract you from it, right. it will happen. Oh, yeah. And, and you Absol are just the it. living, breathing example yep. of it. And it's amazing. And... I want to invite everybody out there to make sure that you you check out Inner City Innovators. You follow Ricky, his amazing journey, his hero's journey and path, um, which is you know love can be the simple thing of of holding the door, you know, and and love can be small and it can be big. And and yeah. epic love is really about the hero's journey. Yes. And every one of the young men you represent, the community that you represent. They're on their own hero's journey, and you're helping lead that and open that door for them. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just I'm so honored and grateful that you took the time. I know you have a really busy schedule to come on the show and continue to share what you're doing. Um, we got a couple minutes left. If you have any final thoughts or words for the audience, absolutely, man. I know in times like this, uh, a lot of my white friends are asking, you know, how can we be better allies? How can we be better supporters? And uh, I know it's tough, you know, everybody wants to do something, but I always say the, the key to anything, to the foundation to any human interaction is relationship. 
And I say be a friend, you know, no, get to know someone. Uh, sit down with a friend that you know uh, is probably suffering, especially someone from the black community, and just get to know them, you know, create that safe space place where you can have your questions answered and you can divert your energy uh in the in the best way possible but i think this is a time man where our country needs hope dealers more than ever uh we've seen the vitriol we've seen the negativity we've seen the division and where does it get us it's time for the hope dealers to arise it's time for us to cast a vision greater than ourselves. It's time for us to link arms. And it's time for us to do everything we can to make sure that we leave this world in a better condition than that which we found it. Absolutely. It's beautiful. And thank you all for tuning in. Um, and uh, thank you for bringing me this shirt today. I'm going to represent it in a rocket. And y you are the hope. You are such <laughs> an embodiment of that vision and that mission that you had and uh and what what epic love as a show represents and the mission that we hope to cultivate uh with this show and we can't i, I can't wait for you to come back on next time yeah hopefully we'll have more positive change to yeah. talk about we'll have a lot of constructive stuff to see yeah. uh you know uh, how we're progressing in this community and beyond and uh, I'm, I'm really honored and grateful to to know you as a brother and to Absolutely. to be working towards a, a better world and community together thank you for everything you do for me brother i appreciate you and this opportunity to speak to these people yeah thank you so uh we'll see you next week on the epic love epic love show uh 7 p.m on wednesdays uh keep promoting the positive share this on instagram on social media and um let's keep it rocking thank you Thank you.